Welcome to the ShakeOut Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Van Buskirk. This week, we're trying out a new segment called The Dirty Stuff. More weeks than not, Maddie and I end up covering stories of doping infractions on the rundown, and we decided to take a deeper dive into this subject. Each episode, we'll choose an event and gender category and give you a rundown of the top 10 all-time performers, investigating each runner's history of doping or lack thereof. Our goal is to determine, at least on paper, which are the cleanest and dirtiest events in our sport. We've chosen a juicy one for our first week, the men's 100 meter. This is the dirty stuff. Maddie wrote a great piece for our web last week, and it's called Of the 10 Best 100 Meter Sprinters in History, Only Three Have Never Had a Doping Charge. And Maddie, maybe you can explain what the, the inspiration for this article was. So last week, Christian Coleman, who is the uh, 2019 100-meter world champion and American sprinter, arguably one of the best who ever lived, was convicted of a doping infraction after several appeals and loopholes for a whereabouts failure. So the way whereabouts works is that you can only in a 12-month period have two opportunities to not be where you say you are when doping control comes knocking, looking for your urine or blood. And Coleman had three. So while Coleman has never been found with a substance in his system, a whereabouts failure is treated like a positive test. Right. And like you said, on that three strikes and you're out model. So you can miss two, but the third one within a 12-month period means that you are to serve a ban as if you had been caught with a substance in your system. Exactly. So- Maddie, you saw a tweet about this. Yeah, so that shook out last week. And then there was a tweet circulating that said of the 50 fastest times ever run. So not the 50 fastest people ever, the specific times, because many of these best sprinters have run multiple 50 best times. Only 15 were run by an athlete without a doping infraction. All 15 were by Usain Bolt. And uh, that just got me thinking generally about, you know, the top 10 fastest people in these events, like what's their cleanliness for lack of a better word, like, and uh, it's not good. So Mm -hmm. after looking into it and we'll dive into this further, but only three of the top 10 fastest men in the hundred meter have never been convicted of a doping charge of those three men two have squeaky clean records However, the third still had a ton of smoke, but never fire. And I might as well get into that right now. Maurice Green, who's American, he was never banned, but he faced harsh allegations in April 2019. The New York Times published an article claiming that a witness in a U.S. government investigation into sports doping said he advised and supplied banned substances to athletics coach Trevor Graham and his athletes, including Green and Marion Jones. So, you know, someone testified that he gave someone who gave Maurice drugs. And we'll also remember that there are a few things to really keep in mind here, because one, right off the bat, Marion Jones, most people will will remember that name. She actually served time in prison for uh, perjury when it came to the Belco scandal 
um, back in the early 2000s around this big drug cover up where they were, you know, it's supposed to be the cutting edge of drugs where no one would ever find it in their system. Of course, that became not true. They were found. And during the trial, um, Marion Jones lied about uh, a number of the details of this investigation and was therefore sentenced to, I think, a few months in prison. So that's some pretty heavy smoke to begin with. So listen, it's not all about the company you keep, because for example, like Usain Bolt's one of his closest training partners for a time was Johan Blake, who has also been banned. So, you know, we can't just assume that because you train with someone, you've done the same stuff they have. However, when someone testifies that they gave your coach drugs to give to you, it doesn't look great. Well, not only that, but here's the second piece of pretty significant smoke that Bear is bringing up. This coach, Trevor Graham, is not without huge amounts of suspicion and problems himself. So what's no what's worth noting here about Trevor Graham is that you'll notice, and we're kind of skipping around here, we'll go back up to the top and go through this list in a second. But number five on this list is Justin Gatlin. We have a lot to say about him, but the reason I'm bringing him up right now is because he is also, or he was also coached by Trevor Graham. And Graham had eight athletes who have served doping bans. Although Graham himself claims sabotage in each of those cases. So as you said, Maddie, it's not all about the company you keep, but when not only your training partners have served significant and very serious in like bans and um, consequences for their own doping, but also your coach has eight athletes who have tested positive, that also doesn't look great in terms of a culture and a training environment. Mm-mm. So maybe what we should do just for our listeners sake, Maddie, is start at the top and just name each of the top 10 athletes, and then we can kind of bounce around and explain to you why we're doing that. We start with the fastest ever. You're probably all aware of him. Usain Bolt, fastest man alive, no infractions, clean record, squeaky clean, love that. Second on the fastest ever list is Tyson Gay, an American who most are also at least peripherally aware of. He was banned ahead of the 2013 World Championships. Third, Johan Blake, Jamaica, former training partner of Bolt, banned ahead of the 2009 World Championships. Fourth, Asafa Powell, Jamaican, banned after the 2013 World Championships. Justin Gatlin, American, banned not once but twice, once in 2001 <laughs> And again in 2006, went on to compete at more games after his double ban. And run one of the fastest times in history as a 38-year-old, as we should say. Likely story. Sixth, Christian Coleman, USA, banned this year. Seventh, Nesta Carter, Jamaica, banned after the 2008 Olympics. Eight, Maurice Green, American. We've talked about him. Not banned, but questionable. Nine, Steve Mullings, Jamaica, banned again twice, first in 2004 and again in 2011. And 10th, we have Richard Thompson of Trinidad, no infractions, no smoke, no fire. Good job, Richard. So it's kind of funny because this list is bookended by two clean athletes, Usain Bolt and Richard Thompson. And then in between, we've got a whole bunch of different storylines and threads to pull at. Where would you like to go first, Maddie? Well, like, let's start at the top with Tyson Gay. 
Sure. So Tyson Gay is an interesting character to me. Second fastest all time. He was, you know, the the cream of the crop in the early 2000s. He was a world champion, multiple time world champion, held the fastest time in the world for a while. Obviously was the world record holder until Bolt took that over from him. And I got to say on a personal note, I've met Tyson Gay a few times and it's always funny how like your perception of someone in the media changes when you actually meet them because I knew um about his uh his doping infractions but I really liked the guy and not that you can't have one without the other for sure you can be a nice person and do a bad thing we know that this is true but just on a personal note I got to say I've had a couple chances to meet him and he was a very down to earth lovely man who gave me the time of day even though he had no idea who I was just wanted to put that caveat in there because I thought he was a pretty cool dude. However, what I don't think is cool is intentionally taking banned substances. But I will say, so Tyson Gay uh, tested positive for an anabolic androgenic steroid. So basically an anabolic steroid, which is 100% banned, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And he was given a one-year ban starting July 23rd, 2013. Now, he could have been subjected to a two-year ban, which was standard at the time. If you tested positive for an anabolic steroid, it was an automatic two-year ban. However, he sort of did the right thing when this all came down. As soon as he was alerted that he had received a positive test, he withdrew himself from all of his upcoming competitions and then provided substantial assistance to USADA to help basically clear this up as quickly as possible. He gave a couple of interviews to the press pretty quickly after he received his his ban, um, and he was pretty emotional. And he said, "Look, I have I'm not going to try to make any excuses. I'm not going to give you any lies. This I was let down by someone that I trusted, but at the end of the day, I know it's my responsibility to you know be in charge of what goes into my body. So I'm going to accept the consequences for these actions, and I'm very sorry." Kind of a rare thing to see in you know in doping cases, don't you think, Maddie? Well, that compliance says a lot because I think that's why people, and we'll get to this in a few minutes, but I think that's why people felt so frustrated with Christian Coleman because it felt like some blatant deceit and bending of the rules and also, you know, a real lack of transparency. It's not like no one has ever gone through their entire life without a mistake. So that's something that everyone can relate to. And so I think that shows tremendous character um, to do something that jeopardizes your career and your livelihood. And instead of kind of cowering from it to just say, listen, it happened. I didn't want it to happen. I didn't know what was happening. You know, like the circumstances around it, we don't even need to know. But just complying with the process and being transparent about your complicity in the matter, I think super cool. Not cool to take drugs. However, super cool to make a mistake and then be honest about it. Well, especially, I completely agree with you, Maddie, but especially because he had a lot to lose. Not only did he have to serve a year ban, he had, you know, there were ties severed between him and various sponsors as a result. So there were real financial implications, but from an athletic perspective, possibly the most crushing part about this is even though his ban was handed to him on July 23rd of 2013, and he had to miss those world championships, It was actually backdated to July 15th, 2012, which was the date that he first used the product that contained the prohibited substance, meaning that he had to give back his silver silver medal from the 2012 Olympic Games where he was part of the four by 100 meter relay team. 
And that medal is now the property of the uh, US Olympic Committee. So that's a pretty significant forfeiture as well, that you have to give up your Olympic medal as a result of sort of, like you said, complying with the system. Moving on to Johan Blake, who tested positive for something that is kind of an annoying positive test, but still a positive (laughs) test. So there are lots of cold medications that contain stimulants that are prohibited. Advil, cold and sinus, you cannot take before you race. If you, pseudoephedrine, if you are in university and listening to this right now and you get to race again, and we hope you do, don't take cold medication or if you do carefully look at the label and check it because there have been bans in U sports for people unknowingly taking over-the-counter cold medication because they're stuffed up before OUAs or whatever. And just before you go any further, Maddie, because I really like that you're putting this PSA out there, I also want to remind all the athletes listening that if you are uncertain in any way about the contents of the thing that you're taking, first of all, you probably should just avoid it. But if you have to take it, go to Google search global DRO and you can type in the product name, its country of origin, your country, when you bought it. And it, it, given all of that, it will populate a list of whether it is whether it contains, to the best of sort of the, the global community's knowledge, anything that is sketchy. So use that as a resource because it's there for this very purpose. Anyway, sounds like Johan Blake took some cold meds and got a three-month ban. That's kind of the business on this story. Yeah, pretty pretty minimal compared to others. I mean, given that if you like you know, intentionally take a really bad substance, you can get a two-year ban. Three months is pretty much a slap on the wrist. It does mean that he had to uh, miss the 2009 World Championships. Bummer. But I think, you know, he was 19 at the time. He was young. Sounds like he learned his lesson. Hasn't tested positive for anything since. Moving on with his life. And we're moving on to Asafa Powell. who was banned after the 2013 World Championships for stimulant oxylophrine at the 2013 Jamaican National Championships. Initially handed an 18-month ban, he argued that the ban was excessive because the the substance in question came from a tainted batch of another supplement, which is legal. He appealed the ban to the Court of Arbitration for Sport and won, getting his sentence reduced to six months, although he did still miss the 2014 Commonwealth Games because the Jamaican team had been selected during his initial ban. So, I don't know. When someone tests positive for something at a national championship, does it, it doesn't present optically, it doesn't look great. You know, it's funny, Maddie, because actually several of the athletes on this list, their positive tests came from their national championships. And I was trying to think about some of the reasoning behind that. And I think what it comes down to often is that a national championships is held usually about, you know, four to six weeks before the major championship of that year, whether it be Worlds, Commonwealth, Olympics, whatever it is. In the sport of track and field, we hold our trials really close to those events so that we can send the fittest people to them. So knowing the level of testing that's going to happen at the major events, you're probably going to shy away from taking a substance leading into something like the World Championships or Olympics. However, you still need that substance in your body, presumably, to get you on the team to get there and to get all the training in that you need to get fit enough and fast enough to be prepared to run your best. So it kind of makes sense from a logical perspective that you would still be on that substance 
leading into your national championships. Perhaps hoping that the level of testing at your national champs isn't going to be to the same level that they'll have at a global championship. Mm-hmm. That might That's just my personal thought on this. But I saw a pattern here and I was like, why have so many of these athletes test not tested positive when they're tested most heavily at things like Olympics, but they do test positive at their national championship? That makes sense to me. Anyway, slap on the wrist again, because at the end of the day, six months is uh, a far cry from the two years slash lifetime bans that you could have, which takes us on to Justin Gatlin of the USA. Arguably the worst offender of all time. Well, it's funny because he is actually, I would agree with you, except on paper, he's not. On paper, it's actually Steve Mullings of Jamaica, number nine. And we'll come to him in a minute because he is the only person on this list who has received a lifetime ban from the sport of track and field due to to doping infractions. But I would say that Justin Gatlin is the most controversial person on this list for that very reason. Well, it's just because he came back to keep winning. After serving, and here's where we have to explain why, because it's not just two two year bans, it's a lot more than that. So in 2001, Justin Gatlin tested positive for amphetamines and was handed a two year ban. However, he appealed that on the grounds that the substance came from a prescription medication for ADD, attention deficit disorder, and that he had been taking that medication since he was a kid. And based on that, the ban was lifted early, so he didn't serve out the full two years. However, you're already kind of, you know, in the realm of suspicion, you're on, you know, people's radar. It's the early 2000s. Skip ahead to April of 2006. He tests positive for exorbitant levels of testosterone. And then his B sample is tested showing the same results a few months later in July. As a result of this, in combination with the fact that he had already served a doping infraction five years earlier, he was handed one of the, at the time, longest bans in track and field history. He was given an eight-year ban in August of 2006. However, that eight-year ban could technically have been a lifetime ban, but because of the quote-unquote exceptional circumstances surrounding the first positive test back in 2001, he was only only given an eight-year instead of a lifetime ban. So, of course, he goes on to appeal this as well, and in December of 2007, his sentence was reduced to four years because, again, he cooperated with the authorities in helping to uncover the reasons as to why he had testosterone in his system. He serves a four-year ban and goes on, as we mentioned at the beginning of the segment, as a 37-year-old, he goes on last year at the Prefontaine Classic, goes on to run 9.87 seconds in the 100 meter, making him making meaning that he beat his own world masters record like multiple times over and also making him the fourth fastest man in the world last year and we're not saying that there is a limit on how well you can do at any age we have seen time and time again how people can run really fast later in life however that tends to be truer in the longer distance events because you have a point of diminishing returns in the fast twitch muscled category as you get older and also the fact that he has served two bands for doping just doesn't look good. No. <laughs> Number six is Christian Coleman, who we talked about at the beginning, um, who ha- was banned last week due to his whereabouts failures. He will serve a two-year ban, meaning he will be forced to sit out the Tokyo Olympics. The irony here is, though, that because this ban didn't actually come until, you know, this month, if the games had been held this past summer as they were supposed to, he would have actually been able to race. 
but because of COVID and because they've been bumped, he will no longer be eligible for those Olympic Games. Moving on to Nesta Carter of Jamaica. So Nesta Carter was banned after sort of a similar situation um, of testing positive for a stimulant and a retesting of his B sample from the 2008 Olympics revealed that substance, but that didn't come until 2017. So this is where holding on to B samples from past Olympics is really important because we come up with better and better testing methods every year. You can go back, unfreeze a sample, retest it, and see if someone was cheating retroactively. So back in 2008, the substance that he tested positive for was not actually banned, but it was close enough in composition to another banned substance at that time that the World Anti-Doping Agency felt that it warranted punishment. He ended up serving a three-month ban starting July 12th, 2016, but most tragically for his team, he cost his Jamaican 4 by 100 meter relay team their 2008 Olympic gold medals. So it's funny because every single member of that 2008 Olympic four by one team is on this list of the top 10 fastest men. Usain Bolt is the only one who, as we said, has never had to uh, serve a ban, but that means that Bolt did have to give back his medal along with all of his other teammates. And I want to skip ahead really quickly right now to number 10, Richard Thompson of Trinidad, who again is uh, one of the only other men on this list with no infractions. Another kind of ironic thing here is that Richard Thompson has been impacted by doping because he was part of the Trinidad and Tobago 4 by 100 meter relay team in those same Olympics who placed second, getting the silver medal, meaning that he was actually the beneficiary of other people's doping because when Jamaica had to give back their gold medal, Trinidad, including Richard Thompson, got bumped up to gold. So Maurice Green, as we mentioned at number eight, we've already kind of talked about him, never banned, but as we said, lots of smoke, no fire. And finally, moving on to number nine, Steve Mullings of Jamaica. So Steve Mullings was banned both in 2004 and 2011. He tested positive for testosterone in 2004 and served a two-year ban. In 2011, he tested positive for the diuretic furosemide, which acts as a masking agent for other drugs. He was subsequently banned for life from the sport and track and field by the Jamaican Anti-Doping Disciplinary Panel. He is the only athlete on this list to receive a lifetime ban. The panel chairman at the time said, we the panel believe that a clear and strong message must be sent to every athlete in Jamaica and elsewhere that prohibited substance will not be tolerated in sports. So, Kate, as you said, I think number nine, Steve Mullings, appears to be our worst offender. This is this has been a pretty interesting list. I mean, not a great track record. Three out of <laughs> less than 30 percent are uh, have never served a, a doping infraction. And what will be really fun is as we move forward week by week. We will continue analyzing the top 10 all-time lists for various events and gender categories to determine, hopefully, what, uh, at least on paper, the cleanest event in our sport is. If you've enjoyed this segment, please let us know. We will continue doing different events. Uh, Let us know which events you want to hear about. Mid-distance, marathon, race walking, let us know. Thanks for checking out the first episode of The Dirty Stuff. Let us know what you thought and have a great weekend.